You were listening to iFanboys Talk Explode with Scott Snyder. Because all you people are vampires. And all your stories are stale. And though you pretend to stand by us. I know you're certain we'll fail. Well, I've seen your eyes as they fix on me. Hey, this is Josh Flanagan from MyFanboy.com, and we are here talking with Scott Snyder today. Scott is the writer on American Vampire from Vertical Comics, and in November he'll be the writer on Detective Comics with art by Jock. We've got a lot to talk about, so we're going to get right to it. I am here with Scott Snyder. How are you doing tonight, Scott? I'm great. Thanks for having me, man. I'm very glad to have you. We've been talking about doing this for a little while, and I'm, I'm glad uh, we're at a good point to be able to do that. Um, Absolutely, I'm also, I just wanted to say thanks to you guys at iFanboy. You guys have been so kind to us. You you gave me my very first review, as I've told you, Josh, before, for my very first one-shot with Marvel for the Human Torch, and I will never forget that next champ, who I'm friends with on Twitter now, but um, I'm a huge, you guys have a very special place in my heart, so thank you. Yeah, Those are actually user reviews, but... I know, okay. I know, but still, <laughs> through Fanboy. Yeah, but that's I mean but that's one of the things about the community that we like is that everybody can sort of write their thing, so it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's I think one of the things that people are always interested in when I do these and I always am is is to sort of figure out uh, you know, people's origin stories because everybody gets into comics completely differently. Um, now you were are a writer um, and and a teacher. So uh, how did you get from that into into working in comics? Yeah, it was kind of a, a, a strange route. You know, I've always been a, like a, I've been a, a huge fan since I was a kid. But um, I um, I do I did come from a, like a literary background, writing wise. When um, I wanted to be a comic book artist when I was a kid, and as I got to high school and college, I realized I probably just wasn't good enough, and I fell into the writing side of things. And then in college, I I fell into more of a literary uh, writing background. And what happened was. Um, I after my I wrote a short collection of short stories that came out in 2007, and then right after that I was asked to um, do a story for an anthology where mainstream writers uh, come up with new superheroes. Uh, it was in, the anthology was called um, Who Can Save Us Now. It came out in 2008, and um, uh, most of the stories in there are. I mean, I love all the stories, and so the, most of them though are funny. They're kind of funny takes on new superheroes, like. One was about a um, a superhero uh, support group for superheroes with terrible powers, for example. And like one of the guys, one of the superheroes, his whole power is that he never has to go to the bathroom. He just kind of sits around crying, being like, "But where does it go?" And um, but my my personal my story was a bit more straight ahead um, about a, a kid that that um, happens to um, be stationed near the Bikini Atoll test in the fifties, and he comes home from that with these kind of strange abilities that he is really frightened of. Um, and it was a bit darker. So what happened for me was that, um, an editor from Marvel, uh, Janine Schaefer and, um, Mark Doyle actually from DC came to the, um, reading and the launch for the book and asked me, they asked a few people, I think from the book, if they were real comic fans. And when they asked me, I was like, I'm a huge comic fan. I had, I had secret invasion issues actually in my backpack right then. <laughs> They asked me if um, I'd be up for, uh, Janine asked me uh, if I'd be up for pitching. They were doing a couple one-shots for the 75th anniversary, the timely comic stuff. So they told me that the Human Torch was available, and I think um, Destroyer, somebody else at that time was too, but the Human Torch, I've always been a big fan. So 
of the uh, the original to John Hammond. So I jumped at it and I, I pitched like, you know, I again and again and again to them, like way more than was probably worth it for <laughs> like a tiny one shot for it. But the idea of actually writing a comic was so exciting. So it took a while for me to try to, to um, get a, you know, uh, get something through with them, but they eventually they liked the story I came up with, and I did that, and that led to Iron Man Noir, and then I got to pitch to DC. Um, Vertigo invited me in to pitch for, um, actually for, I think they thought that I'd pitch something that was more more of a literary graphic novel or something, but I'd had this idea for American Vampire for a few years, and I knew that I'd known, I'd thought about it as a, a book and I had thought about it as a screenplay or something. Cause I have a couple friends that write those and I knew deep down that a comic would be the best form for it. So when this opportunity came along, I just jumped at pitching that. And it was funny because I think they were a little surprised that it was, it was more, you know, it was darker and more, more of a page turner in some ways, but they jumped at it. They liked it. So that's how, but that's where my whole, my whole crazy, uh, my ride. I usually just say that I just slept with everybody, but that's it. So the, um, I'm curious. Was it uh, was it one of the earlier pitches for Human Torch that they went with, or was it like one of the later ones? You said you did a ton of them. So what, I mean, did you did you have it already and just keep going, or, or did it take a while to figure it out? It was it was one of the first ones that I pitched. But then what happened was I wanted to. I kind of went. What happened was I pitched um basically the idea. The original idea was. The human torch loses its skin. That was, you know, what I wanted to do was that he's to do something from the very first year. Um, I was really fascinated with the idea that he's, you know, technically the first Marvel superhero in some ways, or, or one of them, even though people have been around. When you look back at the, you know, the actual timeline now, that you know, the superheroes that have been around since the 1800s and so on, the Marvel U and even before. But in terms of the first comic published, yeah. You know, in '39, he's he's in that comic. So um, the idea would be he's you know the first one of the first superheroes. So he, he creating having also the fact that he's a robot learning his surroundings, um, and that he has this human skin. And it being during the depression, you know, when people need a hero like that, all of that was really interesting to me. But I thought, so what if he, what if he, for the first time you see him without his skin, he loses it you know what I mean, somehow gets infected by a creature or something, and he's forced to sort of be exposed as a robot to everybody. So that idea they liked right off the bat, but the um, I, we went through some macabre stuff after that that I realized was definitely a little too um, too left of center for for the character, but I was excited about, like, I thought at one point, I was like, well, what if he has a different skin each time, meaning the skins are the skin that he wears is actually a skin from the morgue, you know, at the time, and I can get into all the people dying in the depression, and so on. Like, so you know, they give him a, they need to, they can't harvest it; they have to give it to him. So, you know, John Hammond. The idea would be, what if the Human Torch solves the murder of the person that was John Hammond, the skin that he takes on? But the idea of the Human Torch changing faces and changing skins over the time was a little too. Um, I think a little too grim. (laughs) So um, we cut that back. Although I still like that idea a lot. (laughs) Um, But anyway, we cut that back. And so the story that's in there now, which I really, I wound up being really happy with is we we moved towards. So when, when you got the green light and the go ahead and and it's, you know, you're going to start doing a comic script right away. Did you, did you know how to do that? No. I mean, you mean in terms of just writing a script? Yeah. Yeah. 
No, they had to send me, I mean, Janine and them at Marvel sent me a few examples. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with the, with the, under the pretense that everybody does it a little differently. Yeah. I mean, a comic script really does look pretty much like a screenplay in a lot of ways. And I've written some of those. So, um, the format itself wasn't, wasn't a big leap. It was just the, I think the, if there was anything that was, was, um, was difficult up front in terms of the form itself, it's just the, the constriction of the 22 pages, you know, in some ways, the idea that it has to move it a certain kind of clip to feel, to feel, um, engaging, not just on a plot level, but you have to really develop character very quick, you know, first page, second page. Um, and with fiction, at least literary fiction, you have a little bit more time, you know, to kind of meter that out in terms of the things that are just different about it in general. I mean, the collaborative aspect is what's so exciting to me. And I've been really lucky, you know, to get to work with some of the artists that I have, but the idea of, you know, they're all artists that I kind of tried hard to get to work with because I knew that they were particularly collaborative people. So literary fiction, you just write by yourself in a room, you know, it's just you and the screen. But with this, it's like, I go back and forth with, you know, Raphael on vampire, go back and forth with Jock on detective and back and forth with Francesco all the time, detective and having a team or a partner like that is so exciting to bounce ideas off of for someone who was in a more kind of solitary you know, background when it came to writing it. It's just a hugely fun thing. Did you, was there anything that sort of you, you learned about scripting comics and something that, that, that like you, you, I guess didn't know so much at first and now, now it's like a kind of a standard thing or is, is there sort of any, anything you, you were doing wrong that didn't work that you figured out how to do later? Well, I think, you know, I guess one of the things was that I, I think I forgot growing up on, you know, certain comics in the eighties. I mean, the comics that really, you know, I, were just seminal, like the kind of constellation of comics that for me, I just, re- you know, read religiously and keep going back to, or mostly, you know, a lot of Batman stuff, but also, you know, Craven's Last Hunt, but things like, um, uh, the Dark Knight Returns and Year One and The Killing Joke and The Cult and all of that kind of stuff that for me, I think, you know, when I went back and looked at them at first, I, I did some false starts is what I'm getting at with with The Torch and with Vampire where I started with a lot of action and trying to, to suck the reader in really quickly with, with um, you know, something that was kind of a shocking or sensational opening and what you realize is that in a lot of those things, there's a lot of character building first. And if you give, you give the audience, you know, the readers credit for just being engaged by an interesting character. So with vampire, you know, I was, I was nervous with the first issue that there's no vampires in it until the last page, essentially, you know, or same with the way the cycle that we're doing right now in Las Vegas is going. Issue six is really a character building issue. And issue seven starts to get darker. Issue eight, it's like, you know, where things start to explode and issue nine the same, but that, you know, if you, if you give, you know, readers characters that you're excited by, then they respond really well to it. It doesn't need to have, you know, what you think of as kind of big pyrotechnics or anything like that. And in the very, in upfront in the beginning of an issue, or if it's a cycle then in the beginning of the cycle necessarily. Hmm. What's something that, um, you know, you're talking about the collaborative process and something like that. I'm, I'm curious uh, what sort of things you've learned from the artists that you've worked in, just since, you know, you weren't working in necessarily a visual medium before. So when you come around to comics, you know, and you're working with other people and you've got to think about what the, you know, how the pages look and how the panels are set up. I'm, I'm curious what kind of stuff you learned from working with the artists. Well, 
I mean, all kinds of things for different people. Like with Raphael, his he's so um, he's so gifted with expressions that and making the characters really expressive. That was one of the things that excited me about his art from the beginning. It with him, for example. I don't even need to say, I don't give him a lot of angles when I'm talking about creating a feel on the page because I know that he's going to be so good with the expression, for example. Whereas with somebody like Jock, Jock is terrific too with expression and stuff, but he's got a guy in a mask for most of the <laughs> thing. So for that, you have to really, you have to figure out how to kind of um, get across the same feel or the same mood, you know, or the same emotion without, if you're not doing dialogue with the guys alone or something like that in that panel just by giving it a or giving it some kind of um directorial um element, you know. So I guess I guess you know, maybe that's not a good answer to it, but overall I think, you know, you, you have a particular relationship with each with each artist, I guess, and you know their strengths and you know, I'm lucky that the people that I've worked with haven't had weaknesses really or anything like that. It's more just playing to their strengths, you know. So do, do you find with somebody like well, do you find that you write the scripts in sort of uh, it, like different differently for each of them? Like, do you give them different kinds of panel descriptions and things like that? Yeah, I do actually. I do feel that way, but you know, it's partly the artist and partly just the character too. Mm-hmm. You know, I try and pick like for me, Raphael fits American Vampire so well because he's you know he's great with character. And it's a really character driven series, but on top of that, he loves drawing. Um, he loves drawing uh, contextual detail and settings, and he really gets off, you know, he's undrawing cars and buildings and all that kind of stuff. So for him, I try and give him some of that when I can, <laughs> you know, because I know he, he does it so well, and also it sets the tone, and, you know, it's it's about what the series is about. So that's why he's one of the reasons he's a good artist for that series. Whereas, you know, with Detective, Jock is so wonderful at giving Batman these kind of um striking dramatic kind of um scenes without them being corny or theatrical. He's always like dark and grim, but at the same time he can make him, you know, surprising in his kind of acrobatic uh you know, entrance or whatever he's doing. So for him I try and give him big panels when it comes to Batman um, when he makes his appearance in a scene or that kind of thing. So I do, I guess the answer is I do write a little differently for each artist, but you know, part of it is just that the reason that the artist is on the book is because they fit the style of the story. So it's all kind of in service of the story at the end of the day, I guess. Cool. Um, so I guess let's focus a little bit on on American Vampire. And um, I'm just it was you said it was something you'd been thinking about for a really long time. So uh, when when Vertigo gave you the call, did you sort of have it ready to go, or did you then have to build it into something that sort of fit what they would have what they would have wanted? No, I mean I had I they they sent me they said you want to come in and pitch a couple things? And I said, yes, of course, you know, and I came in and that, this was basically the only thing I pitched. I said, this is the idea. I had lunch with our editor now, Mark Doyle. And I said, this is our, this is the idea. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a couple outlines. I love, he loved the idea. And he said, I'll give you a couple examples of outlines and pitches, you know, and different, and they're, they're different from each other. You know, some of them are really elaborate with pictures and everything. And some of them are pretty bare bones where they're, you know, six or seven pages of breaking down the way the, the first, you know, six, seven, eight issues will go, and then a summary of what's going to happen in the following issues. Um, and I, you know, series concept kind of thing. But there's no, there's no sort of um, standard format for it. But he gave me a couple and said, you know, can you go home and put it in one of these formats? And I basically copied, <laughs> copied the format for um, 
one of them for, I think, you know, I, for, I don't want to say who it was, because, you know, technically they're, you know, they don't like the idea of giving them out, but they give them out, you know, for learning from them. But I basically copied the format of one of them and just wrote it up and brought it back, you know, a few days later being like, you know, this is, I'm dying to do this. And he gave it to Will Dennis and Karen Berger and, um, they liked it. We went back and forth a few times at that point because the way I pitched it was uh, originally I was going to start with Skinner in the West. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the worries was that, um, you know, they didn't want it to be to be misperceived as just a Western somehow, that it was going to be a Western vampire story. So was there another story I wanted to start with? And I had written into the outline of the pitch, the Pearl Cycle. So then I went back and just expanded that, you know, in terms of showing them how I do it. And that was going to be the first arc entirely. And the Skinner story was going to be the second or the third. And um, that's when we I sent it to Steve King, um, who I had been in touch with ever since he really had given me that um, blurb for my story collection. He had reviewed it. Um, and I just sent it to him asking him, because they asked me at Vertigo if there was anyone that would be willing to... Um, give a quote or like a line for the press when they announced that they were going to do it, you know, a blurb essentially. So I sent it to him and <laughs> he read it and he really liked it and wrote back saying that he'd actually be willing to write an issue sometime, you know, if I wanted to. And I was like, you know, if I tell them that they're going to jump at it, so you be serious about it. And he was like, no, I don't know. Maybe they won't want me to do it. And, you know, I've never written a comic. And I was like, no, no they're really going to want you to do it. <laughs> I promise you that. <laughs> So he said he was, he was up for it. He wanted to do, he loved Skinner. He wanted to do a Skinner thing. So I told him, and the funny thing about him was that he was actually going to do just one issue. It was going to be like 22 pages and we were going to split it and put, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, four pages, whatever, at the end of each of my issues or something like that um, for the first arc or three pages, it was going to be six issues or something like that, you know. And then they, um, he just started writing, and then a week later he was like, you know, do you mind if I go off the res a little bit? And then I was like, no, I'll take wherever you want. Mind if I go off the res a little bit? Another week later, no, I keep going. And it just became clear that he was going to write <laughs> two issues, three issues. And then finally when he showed me, told me where he was going with it or where he thought he might go with it, and he was like, this is going to be half of the arc. Why don't we just split it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I trimmed back on my story a little bit, and we put it together the way it was, so... That's how American Vampire came to be. But it was important to me. I mean, one of the things that was um, really important was that Karen Berger and, and everybody at Vertigo was excited about greenlighting the series before he was involved in any way. You know, it wasn't um, something that went through because Stephen King was involved. He was sort of came on after it was already being developed um, entirely, which was made it great, you know, for him too. It was fun because he could do whatever he wanted. There wasn't any pressure on him to develop the series. It was sort of, you know, a playground of it. So, and he did such a great job, you know, we were thrilled. Wow, so so he really, I, I mean, I, I, I guess that a lot of people probably figured it was like his project that he thought of and then had somebody else do the heavy lifting on it, but instead... Yeah, I get that a lot, but... Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is fine. It's a, you know, they, they they can think that, but no, he, it was ours. We, I did, you know, me and Raphael and Mark, um, put it together and then he, he came on board, um, and did a terrific job. But And he was just, a, he just, he'd written uh, a random review of, of the story that you did and, and, or the book and, and you sort of became, uh, like, I guess pen pals with him or something. 
Well, kind of, kind of like that. I mean, I was able to get the book to him uh-huh. through a mutual connection and stuff. And then he, um, after he reviewed it, you know, I just was like, thank you so much. And, um, I've been such a lifelong fan of his, you know, um, and he's very responsive to that stuff. I mean, when you, you know, he was excited. He's, there's no bigger supporter of up and coming or not even up and coming, but just new writers yeah. than, um, than him. He's so, he goes out of his way to read everything and he'll be the first person. If you see how many blurbs he gives, I mean, yeah. he's happy to support people, the stuff he likes. Um, and so he's been incredibly generous. So, from that point forward, you know, we emailed back and forth about things now and then. Like when I told him I was pitching a horror series, you know, it's like great. He he also he he picked he he edited the best American short stories in two thousand and um seven and so he he found he picked a couple of my stories for the the list at the back of that book of you know honorary of stories of the year. So we had been in touch a few times with things like that as well. So that's really cool. But um I'm I'm yeah, from, yeah. I'm from Maine and he's like the closest we have to a king there. So I I guess he is a king, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's yeah, he's terrific. I mean No, he's he couldn't be a cooler guy. He's just you know, he's he's yeah. so I'm not again, I know I sound corny and it's just like I'm doing a PR thing about it, but you know, it it's true. It really is. I mean he's he's just so giving about with his time and his energy with this stuff. And the cool thing was like when he started writing it, I mean, he acts like a, like a, like a hungry young writer, as opposed to somebody who's one of the most or the most like established and well-known writer in the world. You know, mm-hmm. he, he wrote like his scripts were so rich and detailed and so much more in there than there needed to be that you could see he just kind of lives in the world of the story when he likes something. So it was it was really inspiring, you know, to work with him and completely, completely terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> As if your first ongoing comic book series in an industry that you're relatively new at isn't uh, intimidating enough, then you, you've also got that. Going. Yeah. I mean, it's all it's all good. But that's uh, I'd imagine that would have been quite a transition. Yeah, we'll try, and then believe me, like you can you. Well, well when I meet up with you, I mean, I, I've met you. You know, I you and I have hung out a couple of times. You know, we've seen each other a few times, but. At the con, when you see my wife, you can ask her. There's like many, many nights where I'm like, "Oh my God, why did I do this? Oh my God!" <laughs> With Stephen King, and then the same thing when I said I would do Detective, it was like, "Oh my God, I should just call in sick. I'm just going to call in sick for 2011. That's what I'll do." You know, and the but at the end of the day, there's stories that you know, both that and both Vampire and Detective. There were stories that um, I was really excited about beforehand. It's not. It's not something I kind of walked into for the opportunity of doing it. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try and put a vampire series out there because there's other vampire series, or because, you know, there was an open door at Vertigo somehow, and this was something I thought would be successful. It's a story that, um, you know, I've been, I've been very, very eager to to tell for a long time. It's real. It's you know, it's my baby. And the same with Detective. That I wouldn't have taken it on if I didn't have a story I wanted to do, and I really hope people like it. I mean, but it's it's definitely something I've been thinking about for a long time, too. It's kind of like if I ever got my hands on Batman, this is what I would love to do. Mm-hmm. And then, lo and behold. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will, I'm going to get to Batman in just a minute. We'll finish up on, on Vampire. So do you have a uh, sort of a, a long-term plan for American Vampire? Do you know how long it goes? Do you know an ending? Do you, do you, do you know any of that stuff? Yeah, I do. 
I do. I I have an ending in mind, but the funny thing about it is that the more we've been writing and the more I've been talking to you, um, we have we have exciting things that that Vertigo has been so supportive of the series. There there should be some things happening in 2011 with it. Things, um, but that that'll allow for even more, um, you know, fun stories and stuff. But the thing as it's been going forward, um. I've realized that there there are more peripheral characters that I want to to do stories with, you know. So, for example, the characters in the cycle that's happening right now, Cash, um, the the police chief in Las Vegas, and Felicia um, Book, uh, Jim Book's daughter, um, both of them are going to figure really centrally in the whole series in a lot of ways. So, things like that, where they're, I guess what I'm getting at is that the um, I know how it's going to end, you know, when it gets to the very last cycle. But and I know a number of places along the way, you know, um, that I that I have pretty clearly mapped out in my head. But there's a lot of blank spaces that are have been tremendously fun to kind of explore and and talk about with Raphael. I mean, Raphael's been great about coming up with stuff too, you know, and being like, what if we did this and what if we did that? And so there's a lot of where that's going to be, where that end is going to come. I'm not sure mm-hmm. whether it's you know issues or 75 issues or, right. or you know as long as people like it and we have stories to tell we'll do it mm-hmm. do, you, do you know i mean do you have like a show bible not a show but a series bible where you know you have a lot of stuff written out and planned or like a timeline where things happen or you kind of know yeah, what's, have, yeah okay you know it's at the end uh, yeah. you know it's in the middle but some some bits are sort of able to do whatever yeah i mean i know i have ideas for the big cycles for the next couple of years meaning like i know what's going to happen you know, I knew I knew the Vegas cycle in my head, not exactly how it was going to pan out, but I knew the general idea of what it was about for me and what, what were the themes and which characters were going to be involved and what it was, you know, it was going to be about this idea that, you know, for me, the thing that was exciting, of course, it's just like, I, you know, vampires in Las Vegas in the 30s, it's cool, they wear suits and the gold and the whole thing. But really, we, I, you know... <laughs> For me, thinking about it, I was like, well, why is that? Why is that interesting if we go to Las Vegas in the 30s? And it was interesting because it it's a place that's changing so quickly at that moment because of the construction of the Hoover Dam, and it's becoming this kind of sin city. And to me, that has a lot of parallels at that time and the idea of you know what a vampire is and that the city itself is kind of undead and it's mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere in the desert and it's up all night and it's, it never goes to sleep and it's sucking the life out of the Colorado River and all of this stuff and you know it's glamorous and everything so the idea was well what if we build a cycle around that idea or that story character wise you know with a character who's torn by that a character who has a kid on the way and feels like the place that he grew up in and the home that he is loved is changing into this kind of monstrous but beautiful thing all around him and create this murder mystery around that. So the idea is that I have that sort of idea for different eras. You know, I know what I want to do eventually when we get to the 40s, and I know what I want to do. I have some ideas for stories that actually go back to the 1880s and before that and stuff to kind of fill in some of the secret vampire history and, and why this one species, this the Carpathian vampire, which is the, um, that you'll learn that, 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 I mean, that, that term, we'll, we'll throw that out there pretty soon with the, one of the things that's exciting about the issue that's coming up is that, um, or the, you know, by the time that the issue seven and eight and nine, I guess, or that it starts to explore the, the idea of the possibility of a human group that's been at war with or trying to stamp out this kind of vampire bloodline 
since, you know, early modern history. So they have kind of terminology for all these different species and so on. And the Carpathian vampire is the one that's the Dracula kind that's become the dominant species. So the secret of why that is is part of part of the fun of, of part of the stuff we want to explore. Similarly, like the, uh, you know, the vampire human history and how they've affected different moments in history and so on are things that we're going to hopefully have fun with. So for the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and some of the bigger cycles, Raph and I have talked about what we want to do and which characters are going to be involved, and I know the end, but there's a lot of stuff in between and along the way that we're trying to be more freeform with, you know, so and give it a little bit of breathing room and see what would be fun at that moment. Do you ever watch any of the other vampire stuff that's on? Like, do you watch True Blood or anything like that? Or do you think, oh, I shouldn't watch that stuff? Or, you know, because it might affect what you're doing? Or do you ever watch something like that and go, oh, I was going to do that. Now I can't. <laughs> no, I watch all of it, man. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, we, I was a big True Blood fan. Although I'll say I wasn't very happy with this season. No, it's awful. But, um, but <laughs> what? This season's not good. It's weird. You Okay, I'm glad you said that, because I don't want to sound like sour grapes, and I'm like, well, I'm American Vampire and True Blood sucks. Because I love True Blood, if we watch it, I have both seasons, I have season one and season two on DVD, but, yeah, I wasn't, but the point is, <laughs> the yes. point is, like, I'm I'm first in line for anything vampire or horror in general. I mean, I'm a big horror fan that does something new, you know, or that does something fun, that has an interesting idea for it, and True Blood definitely has an interesting idea, and so does Twilight. I mean, is it for me? No. I mean, is it my wife likes some of the Twilight books, but the idea that um you know, vampires as as this kind of stand in for, you know, social underclass characters like in uh in True Blood and for civil rights and so on is, is really interesting. It's a good idea and it, it makes for a really good foundation. And same in Twilight, you know, vampires as Tiger Beat pinups and so on is is, is different. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, for, for some people. So that that there's a freshness to that, and I give them kudos for that, you know. So for us, we're trying to do something similar. So in terms of, I feel like there's there's plenty of room. I mean, you know, there's if somebody had another vampire idea, for example, like the Passage, the Justin Cronin book, you know, that was um came out this summer. That was um if you, if anyone loves vampires and hasn't read that book, they should read it. It's amazing. It's the first of a trilogy. But anyone has you know an idea that's um that's that's exciting about it. I mean. It, there can never be like a glut that's just, you know, uh, makes it so that there's no room for anything. With with a monster that's as rich, I think, as something like a vampire. Well, it's interesting. It's one of those concepts that sort of you can sort of endlessly mine, and you can apply all of these all of these situations to it. I mean, you know, time wise or 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 society wise, you know, character wise, is just you just take the basic idea of it. And there's there's a billion stories that you can tell. I mean. You can even look at like you know the Blade movies that were almost seemed like the precursor to a lot of this stuff that was happening. You know, when those came from the comic stuff, obviously it was a little bit different. But you can just do it in a billion ways, and it doesn't feel like you're just watching the same thing over and over. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think to me, I'm you know absolutely. And one of the things that's interesting to me is just I think there, you know, maybe this is like complete, um, you know. Um, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't know if you can curse. Yeah, go, but, go uh, nuts. If you're you want it, you're saying bullshit. It's all bullshit or not. That was it. I was just yeah. I was gonna say I don't know if this is bullshit. So forgive me if I'm just rambling it late at night. But the idea is that I think there's kind of two things, two kinds of vampire stories in some ways. And one is where vampires are, you know, exotic and they're they're interesting or they're intriguing because they're so 
um, different than us and alluring in some way. And those are, you know, for a lot of True Blood, that's kind of what it is. And for a lot of Twilight, I mean, Twilight is that. And 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 um, I think a lot of the, the underworld stuff, too, you know, and that, that kind of stuff where they're so exotic and... Um, and just interesting and intriguing because they're so different, you know, and they look glamorous and they look charming and they're, and there's an aspect to them that's very, you know, that's very, um, that's very affecting about that and very powerful. For me, I'm kind of on the other side of the camp where I feel like what's exciting about vampires or what's enduring is the, the other side of the coin, which is that they're scary because they're not so different, that they're, What's scary about a vampire in the olden days is that it's somebody from your town who digs himself up out of a grave to come suck your blood and turn you into one of them. It's like, you know, a zombie movie in a way, but the zombies are actually cruel and cunning and have sharp teeth and they're vicious. So for me, the stories that I grew up on that I love, you know, Salem's Lot, obviously, Near Dark, Lost Boys, Let the Right One In kind of stuff. I mean, the idea is that vampires are your friends and they're they're the people that are close to you they're your neighbors you know turned into these murderous creatures they're they're your brother coming back and like scratching at your window in the middle of the night in Salem's Lot or the girl that you love in near dark Mm -hmm. so it's the idea of the familiarity of them that makes them deeply frightening that there's people come back from the dead you know like pet cemetery that they come back with these powers to kill you so Maybe there's more. Maybe it's not as simple as just saying there's like kind of two camps about it in some way. But in my mind, I think they're not. They're not. Even when they're scary, they're not. With in in movies where they're they're kind of like you know strange things that kind of descend on somewhere. They're, that's scary. You know, Dracula is scary. But in Dracula, I think you know the idea of Mina is even more scary. You know, like mm-hmm. the idea of a character that's your sister that turns into one of these things or that's possessed by one of these things. Mm-hmm. You know, and in the grip of them. So, anyway, that's 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 yeah, my like yeah, my I'd crazy s- theory on. I'd say that's uh, that's pretty close to when I think about probably who my favorite vampire characters is probably Cassidy from Preacher, and I think mm-hmm. that that's one of those things because he's like the best friend ever, but he, exactly. you know is also a monster. Yeah, believe me, he's definitely in the DNA of Skinner. I mean, I'm a huge preacher fan and everything. And but that's the idea and and we're trying to do that on a bigger just on a fun big scale on American Vampire too that we want there to be characters that you root for that turn into these things and the idea of the blood being dark and creating a kind of viciousness is something that comes in as soon as the next issue, as soon as issue 7 it begins with with Pearl who um will make a big appearance in this cycle, um, too, and then play a, bit, a very big part as, you know, the series goes forward. But the idea that it, it has a pull on you to make you pred- predatory and to make you want to, to kill people and so on, that, that that idea is really, is really really spooky to me. And what we're trying to do with the characters is make them familiar to everybody so that, you know, Pearl is a character who hopefully relates to just because she's, you know, hopefully she's interesting or engaging as a person and Skinner as well for all of his, you know, his his nastiness. But then on the other side of the coin, they're supposed to be also familiar or because they're, they're iconographic, you know, meaning Pearl is this flapper that you recognize as part of your history and your culture, you know, as a kind of emblem of the 1920s. And, 
Skinner is recognizable and familiar as as you know the Western outlaw, as individual as he is in some ways. So the idea is that we want them to be familiar or kind of the things that you associate with yourself or you relate to, I guess, is a better way of putting it you know, on two levels. And then they turn into these monsters so that, you know, for me, I've never seen like, you know, a 1950s hot rod vampire. I've never seen like a 60s soul black, you know, vampire in the way that deals with that time period. I've never seen like, you know, this sailor, you know, a uh, boy vampire from, you know, and that, to me, that's one of the things that's that's so fun about the series of coming up with this stuff is thinking about, well, what what haven't we seen and why is that, and then turning it turning it so that you do see it and that it's scary, you know. So that's what that's what we're trying to do, I guess. Yeah. When you uh, when you put it that way, there seems to be an endless amount of possibilities. Um, speaking of characters and ideas that are malleable and changeable throughout time uh your other project the big announcement which people will see soon is is detective comics batman is coming up so you know how how did that come about where how did you end up with detective comics because you know prior prior to your uh run um you know just not not immediately prior but you know greg rucka and jh williams had done this amazingly uh really amazing run and it ended sort of abruptly and then at the same time you've got grant morrison doing all the stuff that he's doing and and now you're now you're helming that big ship <laughs> i know you're making me like having a panic attack again here but the <laughs> believe me like i've been a i've read detective and everything batman religiously since i was old enough to to read my son i read batman to my son he's three he has all of the dc early reader stuff of flying high and going bananas where he fights that gorilla grod and all this stuff. So, I mean, no, there's no one, I mean, what I want to say in, in general is that in terms of the, you know, nobody could be more excited. I mean, I'm so excited and honored and thrilled and terrified, completely terrified of doing it. But, you know, the way it happened literally was that, um, in Chicago, I got approached by Dan video and, um, and Jeff Johns about did about you know doing more stuff for DC. Um, Vampire American Vampire was out and was you know doing well, and they were asking me where I would like to work in the DCU if there was more work available. And I was just you know Gotham City, nowhere nowhere I'd rather be than that. I had a couple other ideas for some of the darker characters, but I tried to make it clear like this is. And the first thing I pitched was the Commissioner Gordon backup, you know. I was like, if I have a Commissioner Gordon story, I've really wanted to do it. This is what it is. Um, and, you know, if you take a look, you could, I, I can't, you know, I don't want to say what it's about, but if you look at Francesco's pages, you can, which are up on the DC, you know, website and the source and all that stuff, you can get a feel for what the kind of tone and, you know, what it's going to, the kind of story it's going to be. I'm a huge fan of Gotham Central and Year One and all those kinds of things. So anyway, I pitched this back up and they, they liked it. And they said, you know, but that's that's available. If you want to do a backup for it, you can do the backup. So that was just the biggest thrill. I was I was set. I was just, you know, if I never do anything but American Vampire and, the, and then backup and detective, I'm a happy guy. And then Mike Martz called me in, in. That was in April. And then in the end of May, I guess he called me in and said, listen, you know, we've been thinking about it and we have an opening on detective if you want to do it. You could do the feature and the backup, um, but you know, take some time to think about it. And I was just like, absolutely, <laughs> I want to do it. <laughs> you know, there's, you know, I, I know, I, I had an idea in mind, and and the idea was confluent with the 
that would go with the backup. So it's like, if I can put these two things together, I could really do something that I'd be, you know, happy to do myself. I, again, I, I so hope people out there like it. It really matters to me that, you know, fans, um, enjoy it. And I want to know I'm really easy to find online as you, you probably know, like, you know, come tell me, but, um, so that, that's how it happened. They offered it to me in May. And then the way that Jock got involved, um, that was a whole separate thing where they asked me, you know, which artists I would like to work with. And he was obviously the, you know, the top of my list and they had people in mind too. We went back and forth and, um, they were like, you know, Mike Martz has been terrific about letting me create a feel for the book myself. I suggested Francesco for the backup early Francesco Francovia who's doing it. Um, and, um, you know, he was like, you know, talk to them, see how you do. And so Jock, as soon as I, I found out that he was, he might be available, I asked around at Vertigo because, you know, he does the scalp covers and all that stuff. And when they said that he might be available, I just took guy's number from, from Willow Dennis. And was like, just give me his number. I'm just going to call him cold. So I just called him. We had communicated on Twitter, you know, a few times. I told him how much I enjoyed it, liked his stuff. And he had written back. He was really kind about it. So I just called him and he was like on his way to dinner in, in England. <laughs> Listen, they offered me detective. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I have like, you know, like 12 issues. And here's the idea. Here's the story. I told him the story. And I was like, you're the dude. If you say yes, there's nobody. I'll work around your schedule, you know, whatever you want. And, um, he seemed to really like the idea of the story. And we met up in San Diego and, um, you know, I t met with him again and we, we hung out and we got along really well. And I was just, this is what we, you know, I want to do with it. And I, w I would really love Francesco for the backup if you like him. And he was really cool with it. And we just went from there. So it's been incredible in terms of, you know, one of the things you worry about dealing with a character, you're like, you know, who's more iconic than Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman, I guess, but um, that they're going to be very restrictive on what you can do with them. And my experience has really been the opposite. I mean, I've been extremely lucky in terms of getting to tell the story I want to tell, you know, for better or worse. But if this is definitely, nobody's like, nobody said no to anything so far with it. So, yeah. You watch There's out. They, they, they did that to George Lucas and... <laughs> <laughs> I know. Don't. There's no. There's definitely. Don't worry. Like I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to. You know. <laughs> there's no like like horrible things about to happen to anybody or anything like that in some way that's. Um, you know. Meaning like there's. There's definitely some big, the big things that are going to happen in the story and um, things that will change the bat you in some way. You know and new characters coming in and characters that have been forgotten about, I think for, from continuity coming back in a big way as well. Um, but overall, I think, um, you know, it's a story we, we we're all a team. We really are. I mean, that was the idea was to get Jock and Francesco and the colorist also David Barron, who's amazing mm -hmm. together and just be like, this is, this is the Batman story. If I want to tell, if you guys are behind it, I want your input. You know, here this, if you, for example, like Jack and I went back and forth, and one of the story points actually changed based on that later on, you know, in a fun way. So that we were like, we wanted to be that if we get fired and we never allowed to work in the DCU again, <laughs> we're happy we got to tell this Batman story before that. <laughs> so that's, that's, that was the fun, that was sort of the feeling between us at that time. So that's the way it's been. So, so more importantly, do you call him Jock or Mark? 
I call him Jack. Okay. I do. I, I'm afraid to call him Mark. Still, fucking <laughs> <laughs> him. I just try to games. I'm just like, hey man, what's up? How you doing? How you doing, dude? What's going on? But um, you know, one thing. I, now that we're closer to it coming out, and they've released more things about it, it's. I feel like you know it's fun to actually get to blab about it a little bit and say what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. I guess that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that is that something yeah. that um, if you if you're te- if you're listening and you're terribly sensitive about this kind of thing, you could skip forward a little bit. But um, no, I, I'm actually really interested because it's it's. I mean, uh, your enthusiasm is palpable. And and uh, you know and Jock is is well Jock is my favorite artist has been for a while. By the way, if you're ever interviewing somebody, don't tell them that on camera because it's awkward. But it's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, no. Let us let us know sort of what the deal is. Uh, well, so what we're trying to do. I mean, it's nice because now I think this is like finally now I can talk about it being Dick Grayson and all this stuff. You know, I haven't been able to discuss like what we were going to try and do so it was always in such general terms before whenever we you know not that we did so many interviews but anything we did up until now until this was like so the idea is that what i what i'd like it to be is i love what grant morrison did with batman and robin you know especially the the first the first arc and the what's going on now i think is just terrific and um the idea that 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 Dick isn't Bruce behind the cowl, and that Dick is a different kind of Batman. And the idea with the, the behind the series of Detective is that it's going to be a back to basics. I'm a huge fan of um, what happened with what Greg Rucka did with Batwoman and J.H. Williams, and I have you know, the hardcover and everything. I just love it. But we figured we'd go back to basics and have it be Batman solving mysteries in Gotham, you know, at face value in the way using the, the coolest kind of CSI toys and tech. Um, and have it being very gritty and grim, and nothing, you know, supervillain or supernatural, really. But even though that's kind of the face of it, what it's about, really, it's one big story about the idea that Dick Grayson, even though he's been Batman for a year, you know, at least, and he's had the opportunity to be Batman before, he's he's been Nightwing, he's, he's well-tested, you know. Um, he has never really put down roots in Gotham in some ways. I mean, he's he's been a Maven, he's kind of a circus tramp in a lot of ways where he can always pick up stakes. I mean, who is Dick Grayson in Gotham, you know, in that way that, except to be, you know, or to be, you know, psychic to Bruce Wayne. So the idea isn't so much establishing an identity as, as Dick, uh, you know, like getting a job and that kind of stuff that, but it's more about the idea of what it means to take on the mantle of the bat and to live in Gotham and to see Gotham change around you and become, you know, your worst nightmare that to me, Gotham, the thing that's interesting about it is that Batman, his villains, you know, are all, I mean, Bruce, his villains are all extensions of his own, um, psychology so that the Joker is, you know, who he would be if he finally fell off the cliff into complete madness and broke his rule or, or two faces, you know, you know, so reflective of his duality um, and the idea of him being these two irreconcilable people at once. And so though that rogues gallery is so, so much a projection of Bruce and who he is as this kind of dark and solitary and obsessed and psychologically dark warrior. Whereas Bruce, uh, Dick, on the other hand, is optimistic. You know, he's been a team player. He's like a half full kind of person. He's he's not um, the same kind of person. And so, 
having him fight that same rogues gallery to me feels a little off um, for for what we're trying to do in detective. So we wanted it to be, how does Gotham change around him? How is it this kind of black mirror? It's the, the name of the first arc that, how is it something that will challenge him in ways that are specific to him and create, you know, a kind of, uh, rogues gallery and, and challenges for him that are specific to his own nightmares. So that's, that's what we're trying to do. And that's what I was telling Jock and I went to more specifics about it, but you know, that's, that's sort of the whole idea is that I guess on the surface or in a literal way, it's like back to basics. It's Batman solving mysteries in Gotham, one big story, you know, backup and the feature are connected. Um, but in terms of what it's about, it, that's what it's about. It's kind of Batman, Dick Grayson, finding out what happens when you take on the mantle in Gotham and become the sanctioned Batman of Gotham City mm-hmm. and how Gotham changes around you for that, both in the faces of organized crime, the faces of, you know, of just evil, evil and, and kind of and murder. And so each, you know, the cycles are going to explore those things in some ways. In the vacuum created by the fall of the Falcone family and stuff, and the Black Mask, who steps in? You know, maybe a newer, more vicious kind of criminal in some ways that mirrors kind of Dick's youth and vitality. So those kinds of things are what we're thinking about in a big way. I think you know throughout the cycle and throughout the arc. I mean, the whole thing, the whole series. So. And in doing so, I guess you probably, I mean, it sounds like you're going to have to come up with some villains and some characters, and, and they might even stick around for a while. So you'll have that going on. I hope. I mean, we're not going to be creating... I would never try and... I was such a fan of the Circus of the Strange and the Flamingo and all the kind of stuff introduced in Batman and Robin. I mean, we're not trying to do that, really. Um, you know, I know my own <laughs> limitations in that way. But that it, what we will try and do is show there will be some new, extremely, extremely dark and, you know, hopefully frightening characters. Um, no one in capes and that kind of thing. Um, but But both characters that run the streets, you know, and are, are the new faces of crime in Gotham, you know, that they kind of are more bloodthirsty now that they're the old kind of family organized crime has, has fallen apart in a lot of ways. Um, and just new villains that are, um, you know, that are, that, that, that fit the kind of feel that we're trying to do with detectives, you know, from, I was a big fan of, for example, the, when Jock did do detective, the cutter cycle, the, you know, um, that kind of, you know, gritty murder, serial killer, um, vicious sort of villains in that way. So we're going to be trying to create a Gotham that's really um, specific to, to Dick Grayson and mirrors the kinds of things that he's, he might be, um, you know, that, that play off of his weaknesses too and challenge him. That's interesting. I it's I really I really really enjoyed uh, Dick Grayson as Batman so far. It's been you really what I really enjoyed Dick Grayson as Batman so far. Uh, in in a way, a lot more than I thought than I thought I would. And and uh, you know, it's that slightly different personality because we've been reading this Bruce Wayne for I don't know twenty years now. Who's this you know sort of grim, you know, humorless character? And 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 just to to have it not 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 that you know Dick is is you know, fun, lucky, cracking jokes all the time. It's just a little bit lighter and a little bit different. You've got that and the relationship with Damien and things like that. And uh, it's actually, it's been a, a really good time, I think. 
That's good to hear. I feel the same way. And that, you know, believe me, I'd be, if, if they asked me if I want to write Bruce, of course I would jump at it. But I was more excited, honestly, to try and take a crack at Dick Grayson as Batman because I was so excited by what Grant Morrison had done on Batman and Robin and, and made it clear that this isn't, you know, Bruce ties also into the mythology of the Bat. And that's what is so impressive about what Grant Morrison is doing, you know, in, in, in his whole run from the black glove, the son of Batman, everything is he expands the, the universe so much where you feel like you understand Bruce as a character, but more than that, the kind of, um, the bat as this kind of almost like, you know, thing that causes all of these repercussions and causes all of these crazy villains and the mythology of it stretching back through Gotham's history with, you know, the, the cave and the idea of all those portraits on the wall and everything. I mean, it's so, it's so interesting to me the way he teases it back through history. But with Dick, Dick is just a person in the costume at this point. You know, he's, he's the person who needs to be and Bruce gives him his blessing to be that. But that's, that's one of the things I liked even about the way quietly draws him mm. in Batman and Robin. It, it looks human. The suit looks vulnerable. There's scenes visible. You know what I mean? He's not, he's not like a black bat shadow in the sky. He's, he's a, a vulnerable, physical, real human person under the cowl. And that's what's, that's what's about him being, Batman, I think. It doesn't mean that he can't be really dramatic and scary and, and, you know, frighten people as Batman, but that there's a different look, and Jack and I talked a lot about that for for the look of um, Dick Grayson in this run, and we sent a lot of images back and forth from everything from, you know, the Paul Pope Batman Year 100 stuff to, to the quietly pictures to Raphael's Batman from... <laughs> Superman, Batman, to try and get a feel for how we wanted to, to make him both look intimidating um, and not, you know, not ape or quietly designed and that kind of stuff, but at the same time make him look like a soldier in Gotham and have him be, you know, have him be physically realistic where he's not, he's not like the way Bruce is. Bruce is almost like, you know, so big and, and frightening that he can descend on somebody and look just like a bat coming down and be almost like a, you know, uh, a nightmare in some way. So that, that, that that's what's interesting to Dick visually to me that we talked a lot about, you know, beyond the character stuff that we were just saying about why the, what the cycle of the series is about. How have you found the uh, the actual sort of scripting, the writing of it? Has it has it been has it come relatively easily, or do you is there almost like so much to deal with that, that it gets a little complicated? Well, it was really I had like a complete panic breakdown the first like um, <laughs> the first issue for eight seventy one. It took me like days just to write the first opening pages. Um, you know, like they were. Excuse me now, like Jock and them and my wife too. But I was just like, I need to go for a walk. I'm like, hey, this is this dialogue is this? Does this really sound like Batman? Is uh, you know, and I've read Batman forever. It's not like I don't know what sounds like Batman. That's Dick Grayson or Bruce, you know. I, but to write it is so intimidating. It's so incredibly intimidating that the first lines I, you know, every at first the first couple of weeks doing it, it was like every time I was writing a line of narration or dialogue, I just second guessed it over and over. I must have spent more time on the opening pages than I 
of issue eight seventy one than I did probably on like the entire issue of eight seventy two. But once once it gets going, it doesn't. It's not hard because what you realize is that each writer, you recreate Batman for yourself. You know, is as similar as they are as the, you know, to each other, and they're the same person. They're still your own take on it. So. You know, my Dick Grayson is different than Grant Morrison's Dick Grayson as much as that, you know, as hopefully you see it and you're like, that's obviously the same person. But it's more just that, you know, if you were watching the same person on the street, you, because of your psychology, would notice different things than he would. It doesn't make the person any different. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that, that idea to me is the way we each have our own Batman. You know, Batman at the core is the same or the fans will call you out on it <laughs> really quick. But the idea is that what I think about Dick Grayson, the things I notice and the things that are interesting to me might be different than the things that are interesting to Tony Daniel or to Pete Tomasi or, you know, that stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you find that, um, I mean, I, you, you've done, you know, you have a book out, you have short stories that have gone out there, but uh, I imagine that the comic book community is a, is a different beast entirely where there's all of this instant feedback and it's, it's, you know, the comic book community lives online. You're on Twitter, you're on Facebook. You know what that is. Has that been a different experience for you? Yeah, it is. It's, it's really interesting. It's, um, you know, we've been really lucky with American and so far. And the response about being on detectives has been really positive. I've, I feel very, very grateful to everybody out there for being so supportive. Um, but what's funny is just that, that, the the response is instantaneous, and if you if fans don't like something you do, they'll they'll call you out immediately. So, like for example, when I was so excited when they said, I mean, who would be that Jim Lee was going to do the variant for the first American Vampire? You I mean there's when I was like 13, I, I mean, I waited online for Jim Lee's autograph forever, you know. And I still have like my wait. It was the same. I waited online for Todd McFarlane a page from Todd McFarlane to sign on my birthday on 13th birthday. I still have it on my parents' wall in the, the city back when they used to hold whatever conventions they had before Comic-Con at Penn Plaza Hotel across from Penn Station in this dumpy place. Now they hold the Maury Povich show. But anyway, the, uh, the, when they, when they said Jim was going to do it, I was just over the moon. I like tweeted about it, put it on my Facebook. And the response is immediately yeah. <laughs> awesome. like, yeah, well, when's he going to finish All-Star Batman? <laughs> it was like, it was like, everything don't, yeah, it was like, All-Star Batman, Jesus Christ, like, let it go. Let it go. <laughs> but they don't. No. Like, you don't bet, you know? I was like, you know, I was like, let All-Star, I'm the goddamn Batman, just forget it, forget it. You know, but it was like, they hang on. I mean, they 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 know stuff. And one of the interesting things is with American Vampire, and I've been a pretty bad troll with this stuff, is that I go look at the message boards just to see what people are saying, you know, and stuff. And the theories on what's going to happen, the theories on the characters are are so intricate and and thoughtful and and. Um, you know, attentive to, to what's been going on with them, that it really, it's very moving. I mean, there's a difference, I guess, in that way with, I brought my wife to, my wife came to Chicago to C2E2, which was the first convention I ever went to as a creator, as a, um, you know, employee, I guess. And, um, and 
I was really nervous because I was like, oh, God, she's going to see you. I've been working in the literary world, and I've always loved comics. There's always been comics on my nightstand, but, like, she's going to come. She's going to see, like, you know, the crazy guy dressed as Robin. She's going to see, you know, like, the the stormtrooper changing the baby over there. It's going to be, like, a nightmare. She's going to be like, who are these crazy people, you know? Who are my people, you know? But it's like, who... But so when she came and we sat in on this panel, she sat in this panel I was on for the DCU where it was just like the most costumes, you know, of any panel. It was like, like you know, everybody from Scarecrow, Yellow Lantern, Scarecrow to, you know, whatever. And afterwards I was like, so what did you think? You know, I was like really nervous to hear like, oh, I never want to come to one of these again. And she was like really, really moved by it. And it's like, you know, it's amazing to see people care so deeply about the characters that you're working with, you know? And, um, it really, it was nice to hear that because that's how it feels, you know, on this side. Well, clearly like we haven't been doing American vampire for a long time. So it's nothing compared to the, the affection people have, or the affinity people have for <laughs> characters and detective and so on. But even with a little thing like ours, you know, with American vampire, to see people attach themselves to the characters and like them and think about them, it's there's no greater reward as a writer, honestly. Yeah, I, I remember it when I when I um, the first time I met Steve King, he when we were up in Maine, I was up in Maine with my wife, and we went over. We were about to go to his house, you know, because he was like, "This is after my book and everything." And on his in his wall were things that fans had done of characters from the stand and from um uh you know everything that he has done from the dark tower series from you know thinner from and i remember looking at this thing of flag you know the villain and the stand and needful things and so on and thinking and eyes of the dragon and uh thinking um if if there's like a fraction of that in anything that you do <laughs> to see people care that much about somebody that you love and have created that that's what else is there, you know, as a writer. Mm-hmm. So anyway, cool. Now it's late. I'm getting all like waxing. <laughs> no, no, it's Did you ever notice now. the sunset when it, no, stop. No. Um, <laughs> so right, I'm getting too happy. Let's bring it back. Bring well, it back I, here, I, have, I have sort of one, one thoughtful question that, that uh, sort of came up as I was thinking about this is I, I have a friend, I have a couple friends who are pros and I, I was having a conversation with one of them and we were talking about how, it used to be that um, to come up in comics took a lot longer, and and before you ended up on a really big flagship book, you know, you would be working, you know, sort of in in smaller titles and B titles and short stories and things like that for, for years. Um, and and uh, and now, you know, if you look at there's there's guys like uh, Jonathan Hickman who ends up helming, you know, Fantastic Four after being a pro for a year or so, and then here's you and you're taking over Detective Comics, you know, and and you know your your first sort of published work was only in the last couple of years uh, in comics anyway. And I'm I'm just curious if that's something you ever thought of, or 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 if uh, you know if you've ever given that any thought, or if you think that makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is really different. I think I think you know. <laughs> It's different in a way, though, too, that I think somebody like Jonathan Hickman, when you look at the work he's doing on Fantastic Four and on S.H.I.E.L.D., I mean, it's amazing. The guy, he's he's, a, he's brilliant. So, you, in those cases, I think one of the things that's interesting is that it takes it takes a long time to, um, to, this, this doesn't, 
this isn't to say anything about that there's such a long period where you are grueling away or anything like that, but mm-hmm. but but the point is just that um that there's a long lag time in comics, you know, so that when I pitched American Vampire, it took six months before, seven months or something like that, before it started to even get to the scripting process, you know, where we went back and forth and talked about it and figured it out. And so with those things, like with your own projects and with what you're going to do on a series, like with detectives, you know, they talked to me about what I want to do it back in May, June, July, August, September, October. I have six months, you know, to, you know, five months to really put something together. I mean, you put it together immediately, obviously, but the the idea is that um you know, you, you they 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 ask you what you're gonna do and you you have to win them over in some way. So somebody like Jonathan Hickman or for example Nick Spencer, I'm a huge fan of what he's doing. Um and, you know, earlier with Jason Aaron before now I mean I mean I mean I was a fan of I'm a fan, huge just a bigger fan now than I was then, but the point is when he was doing scalp and then all of a sudden he started doing Ghost Rider and stuff like that. You you have to win them over with your ideas. They don't just hand it to you because you um, you're doing something else that they like. You know, you have to pitch something, or at least that's been my experience. It's been like you have to kind of like this is what I would do, and this is why you should give me the chance to do that. So in that way, you're definitely not vetted. <laughs> like um, I still feel like Jesus Christ, how'd they give me the keys to this thing? But um, at the same time, like, you know, there's so many exciting young writers right now that I think it's cool that they're being so open to so many people. I mean, I've, you know, become really good friends with, like, Jeff Lemire, for example, who's stuff I love, you know, at Virgo, and and uh, and um, Chris Robertson, and just people that are doing their own different things in that kind, and that they give a chance all of a sudden, you know, is to, to do something different, like, you know, Zeb Wells and and all these people. So it feels like a very exciting time in comics. Like they're looking for, and, and, you know, tell me if I'm wrong about this too, but, um, you know, for me, but I, like, I didn't go in to get detectives. I would, I told you, I would have been happy with the backup. I would have been happy. I mean, over the moon with the backup, I would have been happy with anything, but it just sort of conspired to, to open at that particular moment. The same with, I'm sure with, with things like Superboy, you know, for, for Jeff um, Lemire, which is going to be great. We've been trading scripts back and forth with that stuff. And when I was a kid, though, I mean, I used to follow artists book to book, you know, all the time only. Mm-hmm. And I still do that, you know. But as a kid, it was like you follow Todd McFarlane's image. You follow, you know, Rob Leafield, you follow. And, you know, for me, of course, there were writers I liked, but it just felt like the the allegiance or the thing that got you excited was like the new up and coming artists too. Um, and that still does, but it feels like they put a big emphasis now on writing too. You know, that I don't remember, and maybe it's cause I'm like, I was a kid and please like, tell me if I'm wrong other than, you know, Frank Miller, Alan Moore, Grant Morrison, like the big giant guys, Neil Gaiman, um, being as aware, I guess, of, of, of so many writers as I feel like, I became before I started working in the industry, you know, but knowing Jason Aaron and and Matt Fraction and all these people that were like getting into comics, you know, like, God, their stuff is just good over and over and over, you know, um, 
I don't know. That's, uh, I'm just rambling at this point about it. But do you know what I mean? No, the 2000s, I think, because my, my history, I think we're roughly the same age. Um, and, you know, I was reading comics as a 12, 13-year-old in the late 80s, early 90s. And I got out sort of – I stopped reading just around the time that, that the image thing happened. But, you know, at that time, yeah. Todd McFarlane, I, when I saw his stuff, I was like, I've never seen anything look like this ever, and it's amazing. And I remember that, and and sort of after I wasn't, and I, that's really the only name I remember from that time, uh, you know, because I was just a kid. And and then I stopped reading for a while, and then when I was in college, um, uh, I came back, and and I still only remembered Todd McFarlane, and but from that point, because that was just after the industry went bankrupt and the boom and all the stuff, and I own stuff. Those were my sorry to interrupt you, yeah. my. My father bought me like a share for Marvel back when I was a kid. It's like, and then I was so excited. I would get these like reports on how it was doing, and the report, you know, as a kid, the reports were always like in comic form. So it was like Spider Man hanging upside down, being like, "We're in the money," and then it was like Spider Man looking sadder and sadder each time. <laughs> like, okay, webheads. I bet that one around '96 looked a little different. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry you're no. saying it. In the- Boom. And and then when you when they came like after the the industry starts rebounding, I feel like there was this emphasis on story, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, the the writer is king, and 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 Alan Moore is a name that is now held in in reverence in a way that that sort of hadn't been before to to everybody, not just prose. And you know, and Bendis comes over and he he starts this sort of writing. Uh, you know, dynasty for himself and, and, and exactly. Greg Rucka exactly. and all these people. And now, and, and, and Vertigo actually really a big part of that too, I think, you know, with, with, you know, Neil Gaiman and, and uh, Garth Ennis and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, we're now living in an era of the, of the writer. We, we were a little, I think that things have equalized a little in the last few years. I think art has taken its foothold back a little bit. Um, feels like. Well, I like to think it's even now is the idea. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, as a writer, I'm probably just more aware of writers and stuff like that, too, where, you know, when I hear something like, give a plug, for example, to Cullen Bunn's, like, Six Gun, I think that's an awesome comic. Yeah. Or, you know, I hear about the writing in two, you know, Josh Fialkoff, it's just great. It's like, I go pick it up, you know, I don't I don't know who the artist is at that moment or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas somebody I'm sure who's more on the art side of it, you hear something similar. But I think it's Eve now, at mm-hmm. least, where... I really, and because I want to be a comic I don't even know, but I was just so nervous. But I like to think it's probably more that in the late 90s and, you know, in 2000, 2002, 2000, Spider-Man comes out, you know, and, and then Spider-Man 2 and and Iron Man. I mean, these movies that suddenly, they're X-Men and do well, and Batman Begins, because they're quality. I mean, it's so strange how that seems to surprise everybody all the time in Hollywood with it. You know the movie; it does well. Like when it's, you know, when it's when it's written well, and when it's not written well, it doesn't do well. You know, similarly, I'm sure if it's directed poorly and it's written well, it's going to do badly. So you know, it's not like it's all that matters is the script. But with these things, like with you know, when you when you have quality in the in the story and you have quality in the art, it's well. But the if you have quality in the art and you have you know no quality in the story, it's not going to matter. Mm-hmm. You know, same reversed. You have, I'm sure if you have like incre- incredible story and the art is horrible, it's the marriage of the thing. That's the wonderful thing about comics. But it's nice to see at least now 
the ideas for me, I think there is definitely a value on on the writing and on story. And I know that um, both Marvel and DC have been, it seems like a very, very, a very exciting time to be writing comics right now where both companies and indies too um, seem really excited about new voices and new people and bringing in people who, um, you know, giving them chances. Like, you know, look, I'm a DC guy. I'm exclusive to DC, but at the same time, and, and there, there's, let me, Look like what I what I've been loving at DC from Nick Spencer doing the Jimmy Olsen backup, right? For example, which is going to be awesome. Um, Jeff Lemire doing Superboy, terrific, you know, like great. Um, and I've read the scripts, you know, I can vouch for that. And same as at Marvel, like giving, you know, I know he's not as whatever untested, but somebody like Rick Reminder the chance to do something like Frankencastle, whether you like it or not, it's pretty fun and radical, you know. Or you know what Andy Diggle is doing in Shadowland, whether you like it, or not. they're 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 giving, they're taking chances both, you know. Both companies seem to be excited about giving younger writers and and not just new writers, but letting them work in tandem with established writers to do things that are exciting. For me with Detective, for example, like, you know, our marching orders come from what's happening with 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 Batman from Grant in a lot of ways, you know, um, in terms of the big idea. You know, like the big the big thing, like, okay, well Bruce is coming back to life, like or Bruce is coming back out of the, you know, slipstream of time. That's not up to me. That's you know but Given that, like when I was in San Diego, one of the huge, the biggest thrills. I think I, I can't remember if I saw you before that. I think I saw you before this, but we had a booksellers dinner for American Vampire, where you go to try and promote the um, the trade for when it's going to come out to booksellers like Barnes and Noble and that kind of stuff. And Grant Morrison showed up to it um, with his wife, which I had no idea he was going to come, and it was just like you know. The biggest thrill of my old San Diego, other than meeting Raphael and Jack and stuff, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe he's here. But I'd been on a panel with him for Batman, but I hadn't even gotten close to him. So and when He, he came, sweeps he came, into rooms. I've seen that. He's, he's, he floats in in a way. He's very handsome, and he's also bald. And like it's a striking combination of like Professor X out of the wheelchair, something where he's like... He like has this mesmerizing kind of stare as well, where he looks very intense, and he wears a three-piece suit. Like, who wears a three-piece suit? I mean, everybody at Comic Con, I'm wearing like a T-shirt. It's getting dressed up if you put on like a button-down over it, you know. So, but anyway, he he made a deal and he came right over, and he's like, you know, in that thick Scottish accent, he's like, "Hello, I'm Grant Morrison. Blah blah blah. Pleasure to meet you. What are you what are your ideas for detective? I hear you're doing detective, and I I like told him my ideas, like I told you." And he was so, he just like listened and he, he was so excited about what he's doing with Batman. Um, the run that he had, he like went on about what he, what his plans are and all that stuff. And what was cool, the, the point of all this is that he is excited to give me and David Finch and, you know, and uh, Tony Daniel, who's, you know, obviously a newer um talent also, you know, when it comes to, to scripting all the stuff and drawing it and all of us room to create our own bad ecosystem under the umbrella of what he's doing with Batman. So it's a really cool time to be writing comics. I mean, for me, I mean, I'm just, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> I'm like waiting for some, 
someone to be like, oh yeah, actually you can't, you know, you, you, you can't use uh, Dick Grayson. You have to use, uh, you're going to be writing Batmite as, you know, as the main character detective, have fun, <laughs> that kind of thing, you know. Or, as, as far as I know, that's actually how most ongoing successful comic writers feel all the time. Until that shoe does drop. It's just, when are they going to find me? Oh, well, we'll just keep going. Yeah, so anyway, that's a long-winded answer, but yeah, it does. You know, it's, I think, I think there's an excitement about people that are, that are maybe newer and they're giving people chances, whereas that wasn't the case maybe 10 years ago or something like that. And we owe a lot of it to people like Jason Aaron and Matt Fraction, who are like the wave right ahead of this, you know, and stuff like that, who... You know, we're we're new and stuff, and then just did such awesome work on on mainstream stuff. All right, I have I have one more question, and sure. uh, and then uh, we'll 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 say it's time to go. But uh, do you feel the same way about that, though? Can I ask you that? Do you does that seem? Am I does that seem the same to you? Slightly, uh, I would say that, and I'm I'm a little bit. Um, uh, on the on the biased about it, I guess there is a really th- there's this wave where every once in a while there's this uh, influx of new talent, and I think we're seeing that happen now. Although I think we're at sort of a crest where a lot of the guys who were breaking in five years ago or so are now really, really hitting their stride. And and you want to talk about a guy like Jason Aaron? I think is another is one of those guys. Or Rick Remender is one of those guys. Um, I definitely think that that's it. Um, but you will see somebody ascend really quickly. Uh, it, it like Jeff Lemire or like um, or uh, Nick Spencer or 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 like yourself, uh, and that that's really exciting because the fact is, I think there are like there's only a handful of guys in the past ten years who've been really memorable writers. A lot of people have come and go in that time. A lot of stuff has shown up and been fun, but the guys who really stuck around your 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 Bendises and your and your Greg Ruckas and your Jeff Johns, you know. There's, there's only a handful of those guys, and so when somebody new comes along, uh, and and this is what I look for as a person who who is a big fan of comics as a medium, and and also just somebody who's got to find something to talk about. Um, we're definitely at, at a at a place now where people are trying new things. You know, like uh, Paul Cornell is a guy who uh, I I just I love it whenever he writes anything, and to see him get a chance to do something like Action Comics right now is is a, is a great deal of fun for me. Um, me too. So. Was, one of the big thrills there in San Diego was talking to him, and we went out. They had a Vertigo dinner, mm-hmm. and um, a, ba- a Batman dinner and a Vertigo dinner, and I got to hang out with him and his wife, and he was just the funniest, sweetest guy in oh. the world, which was exactly how you'd imagine him, and he's just like, he's the, know, he's the wonderful. Mo- I can't the, wait for night fire. I'm like, yeah, you know, over the... He's the most British man I've ever met. Um. <laughs> yes, he's very... Harry, he's definitely very British. <laughs> so I, yeah, I like that in a way. But, uh, it, you know, as far as uh, breaking in, it's a really weird time to break in because, you know, I've, I've, I've written comics. I've got projects I've pitched. Um, it's really hard. And so people talk about overnight successes, but that doesn't really happen. It seems like it happens, but it, it doesn't. So as, whereas you, you know, you did your time in the trenches in a different way than a lot of people did, but it's not like you weren't writing for years and years and years before you ever got a chance to make a comic book. It's not like you didn't understand story. You were your you're teacher. I mean, you, you know that stuff, so you did your thing your way. So I think there's this feeling of overnight success, uh, and then when you break into the, to the big two, that feels like it goes really fast now. Um, yeah, well, thanks. That's, that is true. I mean... You know, not to be like, yeah, look, 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 
I expected I was I was ready to do a lot more time in the trenches. Mm-hmm. I promised them. I was. I, and I've said this to everybody there, to, to you know, every editor that's been there. I've been like, I'll do, you know, anything is, I'm fine with anything at first. You know, was was my, I mean, at first that was my my attitude for the whole thing. You know, I'd be grateful to be writing anything at any time. And it, it's still that way. So I didn't expect or or even think that any of this would be possible. You know, I would just be happy doing less than American Vampire. But then when American Vampire came along, it was like amazing, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, each thing has been, you know, more exciting in that way than the, yeah. than the last. It's and, uh, scary, though, because the flip side of it is, though, that like all of a sudden you're on the big stage, and if it if it doesn't go right, if you stumble at all on that, then you're, you know, you stumble it in, in a big way. Whereas... You are know, you saying more again? No. I'm just starting to feel confident about it. No, and, and you can. It's fun, but you know those are those are the things that I think about. Where you know where if you'd just done a bunch of stories, a mini series that nobody really read in the first place anyway, and I mean that in the sense of you know things that don't get a lot. You, you have your chance to sort of find your footing and how things go and how to make comics and things like that. I feel like people have a shorter time to do it. Uh, yeah, and scare yeah, the hell out of me. It, it uh, it's really scary. But again, like if I didn't. That's something I wanted to pitch. I wouldn't have done it, you yeah. know, otherwise. Okay. So, yeah, it should crash. I'm starting uh, to get... Night, okay, last question. Uh, you you are a father. You have a young son. I do, too. And uh, I can't help but imagine that in the back of your mind, uh, you're thinking you're writing these stories in a way, you know... Are you thinking of, of are you thinking of like leaving some sort of comic book legacy in something that you, that you have that your son will always be able to read that he can be able to say, man, this is the stuff my dad yep. did? I hope. I'm, I'm just assuming he'll be like, hate comics and be all into sports and want to be an ultimate fighter or something like that and just be like the complete opposite. <laughs> but for the most part, yeah, I mean, I try and sneak everything his way. I told you, he, he sleeps with a big Batman and all that stuff. I've been like pushing it on. He's going to be Batman for Halloween, actually. I'm going to be Robin, so it should be fun. <laughs> but um, no, I do, you know, you think about that, that, like the things that really moved me when I was a kid and you know, the killing joke and all that kind of stuff. That it's like, you hope that... I don't have any fantasies about being able to approximate that stuff, but if you could be something that some kid picks up and really likes, you know, or people like the characters or what you do, even enough to just say they like it at all, anyone reading it out there. It means a lot. Cool. Well, I want to thank you so much. It's been it's been a ton of fun talking to you. and uh, You too, man. You've got, uh, you've got a lot ahead of you right now, so... Uh... I'm sure we'll hear more about it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Anytime. I really appreciate it. And thank you to everybody at iFanboy. You guys, again, have been so nice to us. It's been, you know, I, I can't thank you enough. I want to thank Scott so much for talking to us about all that stuff. Detective Comics number 871, the first issue by Scott Snyder and Jock, should be out on November 24th. Recently, the American Vampire hardcover, co-written by Stephen King, just came out with art by Raphael Albuquerque, and it is gorgeous. For more, get to ifanboy.com. You can comment on this and all the other stuff going on around there. Thanks very much for listening. We'll talk to you later.